You are looking live at chicken dinner. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. I think I'll take two chickens. Go on riverboat gambling trips. You're going to die for some chickens. Hey, what's your chicken dinner? Someone is. It was feathers yesterday. There was no chicken. What you got riding on this game? My daughter. What a gambler. It's chicken dinner. Hey, Babalugas, we got a bet here. Here's your host, Sam Panianovich. It's called Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner right there, boys. <laughs> Let's get this thing going. Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner. How about that? Uh, away we go. Chicken Dinner, Friday, March 1st, 2024. Follow on Twitter, at ChickenXDinner. The DMs are always open for you. And subscribe so you get the podcast once it goes live. We'll talk to Adam Chernoff, Mr. NFL at Right Angle Sports. Lessons from betting the NFL last year. What did we learn? Also, wagering on the draft and Adam's early, early thoughts on the 2024 campaign. I don't know if you saw the nuggets the American Gaming Association put out about how we gambled last year on sports. Americans legally, legally wagered $119.8 billion on sports betting in 2023. I repeat, $119.8 billion. Sheesh. That is a 27% year-over-year increase. Also, the sports betting industry made a reported $10.92 billion in revenue last year. That number up 44% year-over-year. Up and to the right. Up and to the right. People are going to gamble, and pretty soon... We're going to be knocking on the door for 40 states across this country. Did you watch Kentucky last Saturday? This team is getting hot, hot. I really, really like the way they're rounding into form. And it's not just the Saturday two-unit play we had on chicken dinner. They scored 117 points. I would argue that Cal has finally figured out the rotations. You know, he knows what to do with Big Z. He's played the bigs together, Onyesu and Tierro. Reed Shepard and Dillingham are playing together more. It's less DJ Wagner. Justin Edwards has come on. He looks like a guy that was a five-star blue-chip player. He had, what, 28 against Alabama? And you look at Kentucky's last five games. They beat Ole Miss handily at home. They go into Auburn as an eight-point dog and win 70-59, to Lost to LSU at the buzzer in the worst spot maybe of their season. Well, actually, not the worst spot. I think Mississippi State might have been worse. But you go to Auburn and knock off number 13 Auburn. Then you got to get back up, go back on the road, and play LSU, which you were in control for a lot of that game. LSU made a push late. You get the stop at the end. LSU saves the ball out of bounds. Alley-oop, layup good. You lose at the buzzer. After that... You pound Alabama, 117-95. to 95, And then after doing that, and everybody bets you against Mississippi State, Sharps were on the home team. Public was all over Kentucky. Kentucky wins that game. Goes into Mississippi State, scores 91 against a very good defense, a top 10 defense in a lot of metrics, including against the three. This team is playing great basketball. If you go back a month, uh-uh. Lose to Florida at home. Give up 103 to Tennessee at home. Give up 90 to Gonzaga at home. The team you're seeing now is what I thought it could be when we started talking about them in November. Is it getting too popular? Yeah. Somebody tweeted at me the other day and said, 
wow, you Mr. Square, you like uh, Kentucky, huh? And with a tweet of 23% of future tickets at DraftKings are on Kentucky. I said, I started this shit. <laughs> I've been talking about them for what feels like four months now. It's getting trendy. Yes, I'll admit it. Phil Helmuth tweeted at me the other day and said, hey, I added more Kentucky. And then I did see on Thursday night, or maybe Friday at midnight, Des Bryant, who just won buku bucks on that 12-leg parlay, he tweets, uh, kind of like Kentucky to win the whole thing. I'm like, oh, shit. Here we go. But, I'm, I mean, I'm not getting off the front of the boat. There's no way. They have three guys that are shooting over 45% from three. And I saw this tweet. Let me pull it up real quick. Matt Jones is the host of Kentucky Sports Radio. And I knew they were good and wet from three. But chew on this one for a second. The top three players on Kentucky in three-point percentage are three of the top six all-time in Kentucky basketball history. And they're all on the same team. How about that? You got Reed Shepard, who is probably by now a top 10 pick, shooting 52% from three. Big Z, 46%. Rob Dillingham, 45%. Oh, by the way, the senior from Chicago, Antonio Reeves, shooting 44%. When they make their shots, nobody's beating them. Now, again, that's perfect scenario. They play an A game. They play a 10 out of 10 offensively. Nobody in this fucking country is beating them. They're going to lose when their shots don't fall and they don't get back. That's how they lose. And I don't follow, as I've mentioned, I don't follow Lenardi. I look at the bracketology, but I don't live and die by it. The current bracket pisses me off. He's got UConn, the one in the East, Kentucky, the four in the East. Barf! That's the team I don't want to play. And it's not because UConn is awesome. It's because UConn stylistically is monstrous inside. They've got tree after tree after tree. And if you don't make your shots, UConn is going to destroy you on the glass. That's probably, if I had to pick the worst matchup for Kentucky, it's UConn. I'm cool with Purdue. They could beat Purdue. They could beat Arizona. I think they could beat Houston because I don't think Houston can score with Kentucky. Now, if it turns into a street fight and the refs let it go, then that's advantage Houston because Houston's going to put you in handcuffs. But if Kentucky can get off to a start in that game and make Houston play from behind, I'm not like that's to me a coin flip game. So we'll see. But we got, you know, this show has 20 to 1. I repop 22. Some of you have 30. You can still bet Kentucky plus 650 to make the Final Four, and I do not think that's a dumb bet. I got a message on Twitter from John Browning. I love when you all send questions, and I love to talk to you guys. Hey, Sammy, have a question about futures. They're relatively new to me. After listening to your podcast, I've started to dabble, and I guess my question is how many futures are too many? I'm sure it depends on how much you want to eat into your profits, John says. For the tournament, I have Purdue 8.5 to 1, UConn 9 to 1, Kentucky 18 to 1, and now Creighton at 34 to 1. As a $50 better, I assume I should just stand with those and not add any others. Question mark. Four futures is totally fine. 
especially in a perfect world, John, you want them to end up in different brackets. So you're going to have, as I responded to John, and I'm just kind of talking through it right now, you're going to have two number ones, Purdue and UConn, and ideally you have both sides of the bracket there. So you have a one seat on the left side, a one seat on the right side. Kentucky maybe gets to a three seed. Like, say Kentucky beats Tennessee last game of the regular season. Kentucky could be a three which means you avoid the ones. And then even if UConn and Kentucky are in the same region, they don't meet until the Elite Eight. And Creighton's another one. I hope they send Creighton out west as a three or a four in the Arizona bracket. So I think you're pretty good right now, John. In terms of adding other teams, I would hate for you to add you know, a team that, that ends up in the same region as UConn and Kentucky. If you have four and you're content with those four right now, I would wait – I mean, you can add Tennessee or Arizona to cover another region, one of those two, and then you got 250 in play, which is probably a number that you can tolerate losing. Here's the main point. You want to get as many teams to the Elite Eight as possible. Let's say, John, that you get Purdue and Kentucky into the Elite Eight. You're holding eight and a half to one and 18 to one, and you got two of the eight teams. You can get creative and guarantee yourself a profit. No doubt. That's what I've tried to do. Now, two years ago for me, it was Kansas. And then I built around Kansas. I added some, let's see, did I add Villanova and Duke that year? Yeah, I did. I, I came into the tournament with Kansas and then added Duke and Villanova. Last year, I felt really good about Texas. Ended up adding UConn and Creighton. And who was the fourth team? I can't remember right now. Just from a personal standpoint. Me, I'll speak for myself, I've got... Kentucky and Creighton, and I'm going to wait for the bracket to come out because if if Creighton and Arizona are in the same region, I'll add Tennessee. So to wrap this up, I think four is a great amount. You don't want eight or ten. I mean, you could do it if you have little pops on big teams, if you have like 50, 70, 100 to one. But I think if you're entering the pool right now, you don't want to just spray four futures at 10, 12, 16, and 18. I wouldn't at least. Because I have Creighton at 40 and Kentucky at 20, 22, and 30. I was texting with Mitch Moss. I'm like, I can't stop. I can't stop. Just keep betting it. So, no, I think you're in a good spot, John. And then you see the bracket come out and then go from there. See where your teams land uh, in the four quadrants. Let's talk baseball for a second. I wrote this for Fox. They said, hey, we want three baseball bets from you. And I said, okay, here we go. Uh, The first one I made – is uh, Vladdy Jr. over 33.5 homers. It's a good buy low on Vladdy Jr. He hit 48 in 2021. He's about to be 25, which is so young for an athlete these days. We think of Vladdy, well, we've watched him for a long time. Uh, Yeah, but not really. He's only 24, soon to be 25. So he hits 48 and 21, 32 and 22, 26 last year. So he drops from 48 to 32 to 26. It's a surprising power dip for somebody that is extremely powerful. And not only are pundits sort of perplexed by it, bookmakers are just dropping his totals. After he hit 48, his home run total heading into the next year was 38.5, 39.5. So it's dipped down to the floor, 33.5, on a guy who's got a lot to prove, honestly. And I was reading some clippings. Vladdy was talking to the Toronto Sun. 
He said, I feel great. And this was, I thought, pretty interesting. Quote, if you asked me this last year or a couple years ago, after the first game of spring training, I felt tired. Huh? Really? But this year, my legs are there. The energy level is there. I feel great. So he bookends the statement with, I feel great. Does that mean he's hitting 34? No. But look, he's battled some weight issues. He's battled some stamina issues. He's gotten off to great starts and then tapered off. If he's fully conditioned and dedicated, he's hitting 40 home runs this year. So I do like that number at 33.5 on Vladdy. Second bet I wrote was Bobby Witt Jr. And it's probably not what you think. This kid just oozes skill and speed. Last season, Bobby Witt, if you didn't know, 28 doubles, 11 triples, and 30 homers. However, his ability to race around the bases impressed me the most. He swiped 30 bags as a rookie in 22. And then last year with the bigger bases and the less throwovers, 49 steals last year. What's even wilder, not that 49 steals isn't wild, he got caught 15 times. So Bobby Witt Jr. last year attempted 64 stolen bases. Do you think that's going to go down that much? I, if anything, it's probably going up because he's going to get on base more. The number for Bobby Witt Jr. is 42.5 at DraftKings. Let's assume he does what he's done and plays 150 games. He's going to clear 42.5. His strikeouts went down last year. His on-base percentage went up by 25 points. If he's better in 24, holy cow, think about it. I think that number is, is way off, and I think we're really underestimating how much more guys are taking off. Again, Bobby Witt attempted 64 steals last year, and he's a kid. This is only his third year in the league. He's not battling old aches and pains. Speed kills, and he has a lot of it. The last one I'm, I'm coming around on, and I know I know this is not going to be popular, but a lot of the stuff I talk about isn't popular. I know you don't want to bet the Oakland A's because they're awful. And you're not exactly wrong, but the narrative is getting a little too far. It's a little too overblown. They finished 52 and 110 last year. The win total is one of the lowest this year that I can remember in recent memory. DraftKings is 56 and a half. That's the floor in the market. Most of your books are at 57 and a half, and I think Stations or South Point has 58 and a half in Vegas. Remember last year's win total was 60 on the open. I remember like 59 and a half, 60 and a half ish. You added two vets in the rotation, Alex Wood and Ross Stripling. Those guys are upgrades from last year. They are. Last year's rotation was fucking awful. And now you've got multiple talented rookies that are going to arrive and contribute throughout the year. When you think about two, the A's everyday guys, you don't have a lot of players that are going to be shipped out. You've got young, cost-controlled guys or cheap vets with something to prove. Like, you don't have a lot of flippable guys anymore. You've been doing that for two, three years in Oakland. Rock bottom is over, is my point. And so is the talent sale across the organization. So I look at that number, 56 and a half, and think it's way too low. 
I think a fair number, like if you're taking bias aside and the perception aside, a fair number is like 62 and a half. They're not going to be worse than last year. I doubt they're going to be worse than 52 and 110. Do you know how hard it is to not win 60 games? I had a scout one year tell me, all right, you got 60 wins and 60 losses no matter what. And then what you do in that middle 60 is what your team is. Now, that's not exactly rocket science. We didn't solve for X there, but he's right. You could fall out of bed and win 50. Let's give him at least 50 wins, all right? Meet me at 50. You don't think they can win 10 more games? And the best part is they don't need 10. They need seven, 56 and a half. I'm just saying, Houston has gotten worse. Houston has gotten old. Seattle, eh, Seattle's got potential. Rangers, World Series hangover. I think Oakland over 56.5 is a damn good bet, given how low that number has gotten. Speaking of baseball bets, my buddy David Woodley over at Playmaker, he made a bet at Circa on Monday and sent me the text, and I went, whoa. He bet Royce Lewis to hit the most regular season home runs at 225 to (laughs) 1. That number is no longer available. If it happens, Woodley will win six figures. I pulled the numbers up on Royce Lewis right now. I think everybody's starting to pay attention. I wish I had 225 to 1. Here's the market now on Lewis. 80 to 1 at FanDuel, 80 to 1 at MGM, 70 to 1 at DraftKings, and 70 to 1 at Caesars. I think Circa has like 90 now, but you have to be in a Circa state. Nevada, Iowa, Illinois, Colorado. He hit a home run every 14 at bats last year. And this guy does not hit wall scrapers, he hits missiles. So even though I missed the move and I wish I would have gotten a text like, hey, do you want a piece of this? It was, hey, here's my bet. I would have been all over. T- I'm not even thinking about Royce Lewis in the middle of March Madness or the beginning of March Madness, but that's a hell of a bet at 225 to 1. I sent a tweet out early this week about system bets, and again, I use quotations around the word system, but on Sunday there were a lot of people that were way too willing to bet Creighton against St. John's in a really bad spot for Creighton after Creighton beat UConn. And <laughs> that was one of our favorite ones back in the day. Me and the boys, the bubblegum gods back in the day, we used to hammer Rick Patino in the tournament at Louisville. But more importantly, we bet them every game he wore the white suit. And he busted that thing out on Saturday. Whoo, is he looking fly in the white suit. So the tweet was, what's your favorite system over the years? Everybody has one. I'll go first. Can't bet against the white suit and with a picture of Patino in the all-white. Some of the responses were great. Poods, my buddy Mike, said, in basketball and football, the player out theory. That's when an important player gets ruled out, line moves against Team X, wait for the move, then bet the overreaction. We saw this Thursday night. Ohio State was a four, four-and-a-half-point favorite. Thornton ruled out. Migraine, their best player, highest scorer. Line goes to two-and-a-half, three. Ohio State wins by eight or nine. That's a great one. And Mike's serious about that. Pisky, 
Vegas and the NFL script writers are always kind to the squares on Thanksgiving. Favorites and overs with a picture of Tom Brady and Vince Wilfork shoving turkey down their throats. Alex Smith, third period overs and NHL playoff elimination games. From 2018 to 2020, this was an automatic bet. Joe McManus at Jay McManus 27. Hawaii at home. <laughs> that's I know that's a joke. That's funny. Colin at Colin Steele. Fade, this is their first time ranked in the top 25 in X years. Letdown City. El Nino, SBR. Dead mascot game. <laughs> and then at Tom Greller, always bet on the gray horse. That's a very popular one in the uh, horse racing community. There's a lot more, but those were some of the ones that just made me laugh. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's not really a system. It's more of a bit than anything. But I, if I know Patino's got the white suit on, there ain't no fucking chance I'm betting against that guy. And the last thing, we have Heisman Trophy odds. Are you ready? Circa put them out, baby. I think this was Wednesday or Thursday, and I'm looking at some of my buddies. The Bear is talking about the quarterback at Virginia Tech, who I don't even know. Let's see, what's his name? Kyron Drones at 250 to 1. My buddy Corby likes Malik Murphy at Duke, 500 to 1 on the open. It's so funny now. We just try and pick off good numbers. I do think that's high at Malik Murphy, for the record, at 501. He's the kid who backed up Quinn Ewers at Texas, and Circa opened him 501. Your favorites are Carson Beck and Quinn Ewers, quarterbacks at Georgia and Texas. They're both 7-1. Three guys are 12-1, Garrett Nussmeyer at LSU, Jackson Dart at Ole Miss, and Nico Iamalieva at Tennessee. All those guys 12-1, and then Cam Ward at Miami. 15 to 1. Circa just tweeted it out. I don't have any bets yet that I've made, although I'm going to bet some of these guys when I go to Vegas. You know who doesn't have a bad number? Riley Leonard at Notre Dame. And that schedule this year is kind of a cakewalk. Riley Leonard, the former Duke quarterback, now at Notre Dame, 20 to 1. But there are some definite names like Miller Moss at USC, 25 to 1. Arch Manning at Texas, 100 to 1. There's enough conversation there, but it's only March. Let's pump the brakes just a little bit. <laughs> Joining us again on Chicken Dinner, he is Mr. NFL at Right Angle Sports, at Adam Chernoff on social. The man was on Nesson this year and picked 58.9% for free for you. And I appreciate all he's done for us and all he will continue to do for us, hopefully, as we round into the 2024 NFL season. But I'm hearing first and foremost, Adam, that you haven't shaved in like three weeks. Is this true? <laughs> I, I'm not sure it would matter the way that uh, I have beard growing prowess or lack thereof. But um, no, it's been a, a, a very quiet three weeks. Uh, have not been on the Twitter machine for a while. Have not done a whole lot of anything until the last sort of 48 hours. Um, so it's been a good couple of weeks off. It's weird hearing your voice and not immediately having to give a pick. So this is going to be pleasant. I won't make you do a lot of picks, but I do want to talk about what we learned, what we can learn next year, and then also wedge in some NFL draft in the middle. But let's talk about the, uh, you know, the malaise of no NFL content because it was funny. Somebody was asking me about this the week after the Super Bowl, and I went to work that Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and I was just kind of sad. And maybe sad isn't the right word, but 
we have talked about this one specific thing from July through early February, and we do all these media hits. You more than me. I mean, I probably did like five or six a week. You did more than that. We were so wanted and so needed, and then it's just gone. And I think it's sort of weird that week or two after Super Bowl because the football extravaganza is over, and it's sometimes hard to find a purpose if you're not into college basketball, NBA, NHL. I agree. NFL's the best, uh, plain and simple. And the way that the schedule lays out where you have all of these days every week to build up and follow the same routine, it just it makes it the best for content. But I'm with you in terms of not being wanted or needed. It's the first time ever that I've gone after off-season content to try become more year-round with NFL and media that I do. And so it's been a little bit weird from from that regard, knowing that there's like I go back to Super Bowl Monday. Uh, I immediately went driving south of the border um, from Canada down the west coast of the States. And usually it's like a three to four month sort of abyss of nothing. This in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, it's it's three weeks away and there's going to be combine and draft stuff beginning. So that was a little different. NFL is just the best. You know, everyone knows that it is, and um, I miss it already, but it'll be a weird one with off-season content this year. I want to ask you about the champs, Kansas City, and how that team sort of shook out last year. And we can put a ribbon on last season before we get into the future. They started just as a dead-under team. Their first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games, they were 2-8. and eight to the over. So the unders were 80%. And then they sprinkled in some overs here and there. The Super Bowl went under all the good numbers, over the bad numbers. But this was an over team. For years, it felt like to the over. And now it's an under team. Do you think that's sort of in a vacuum, or is this the future of football in Kansas City? Is this an under team again next year? I wouldn't jump to that conclusion yet. Um, I think defense has really learned how to defend them, or at least defend them enough that it slowed down the explosive plays. And we're going to see a league-wide decision made on a defense-by-defense basis of whether or not teams elect to be aggressive and take the risk conceding the deep throw or do what so many teams are doing now and continue to do where it's play a lot of deeper off-coverage zone looks and force teams to go 10, 12, 14 plays methodically down the field and just sort of taking a couple yards at a time. Uh, it's really, I think, a big decision point. And, and teams tried to defend Kansas City this year where they did a lot of the latter, and we saw them figure it out as the season went on. The average touchdown throw for Mahomes was a career low. Everything was so long and forced out, so many short plays and a lack of explosives. And so that's what teams were forcing them into. And and we're seeing that league-wide. So I wouldn't say that they're going to be one way or the other next year. I think it's a bigger question league-wide of what are defenses going to elect to do. Because now that offenses are seeing so many looks that are similar league-wide, they're figuring it out. We're seeing teams have success with these longer drives. I think you're going to see a slow change in defenses to be more aggressive and try to force those deep throws knowing that a 25-30 yard pass downfield still doesn't have a high completion rate to begin with. And so I I wish I could have more of a definitive answer, but I I think it's a bigger question league-wide. 
Well, and you pay the quarterback, obviously the offense gets less talented. We know that at least in the receiver room, and who knows how much longer Kelsey can play at an elite level for 17, 18 weeks, and then the playoffs. You know, the playoffs to me are all that matter in Kansas City going forward. Just get in, and they can win anywhere. But this is a team that in 21, they were 12-8 and eight to the over. Last year, 7-14 and 14 to the over. So it was just a drastic change in a very short period of time. Um, when it comes to last year, and you can take this wherever you want, what was the most impressive team or angle that made you money in 2023? I'm going to say that it was something that I learned working with the guys at Red Angle Sports. Um, taking the discount with backup or third-string quarterbacks, in the case of Cleveland, the fourth-string quarterback, proved to be very valuable, especially in the second half of the season. We had a number of bets and releases on backup or third-string quarterbacks where the number was inflated what we thought was a little bit too far. And so a good example of this was the Packers-Giants game where it was DeVito starting, and you were getting a big bump in that regard for what the price was. Love ended up closing, laying six and a half points. Like that number was bet up a lot uh, in favor of the Giants relative to where it should have been. And that was something that consistently happened. The Bills-Chargers game with Easton Stick – that game ended up moving about 10 points off the Justin Herbert injury. Just went way too far. It's like 13. Didn't it get to 13? We took 13 and a half, and there was a 14 that was on the screen that Monday morning um, after the Bills ended up with a big victory. It, like it, That happens so often with some of these really bad quarterbacks. It was a record high for quarterbacks starting games during the season. And so I, I just felt that there was – a really poor job by the market as a whole targeting and pricing these backups correctly. I don't know if it's going to be as apparent next year because it's, again, you need so many different quarterbacks to start, but uh, a lot of good bets made on backup and third string quarterbacks on numbers that just went way too far. I also thought you did a bang up job last year. And again, you were 23 and 16 with the picks that you shared on Nesson for free. I thought you did a bang up job at, not overreacting to the overreactions in the totals market. And this happens every season. We see the stories that are written on whatever platform that the overs are hitting at 68%, and then all the numbers get higher and higher, and then the under wave comes in. It's just it's the way it works in the NFL. But you did it sort of on the opposite end this year when the games were going under at a high clip, and then we got into November and December, and, buddy, these totals were – I mean, we had one total that was 30-and-a-half um, with New England and the Jets. Now, that one went under because it was a blizzard, but you were in that sweet spot where you were hammering these overs, 39-40, 41-42 on teams that were trying to play to win, like the Browns. How many Brown games did you go over 40? And Flacco was fucking firing the ball. He really was, uh, and the pass rate went through the roof. But again, that was kind of a consequence of all these injuries and all of these teams kind of becoming difficult to price because they had so much turnover. And, and yeah, like you mentioned, a lot of just what I would call ugly overs late in the season, weeks 13 to, to 18, where you had these teams basically playing – I go a little bit later, kind of like week 15 onward. They were basically playing elimination games with how tight the conferences were around the wild card spots. And you get a little bit of added desperation late in those games 
And we saw some of these totals. They were a little tight earlier in the first half. And then you get to the second half and it was wide open for that. And so with the way that it just kind of shook down the QB injuries, uh, some of the unders that were coming through at a pretty high rate for a good chunk, just a lot of these high 30s, low 40s with playoff fringe teams uh, were really having success with the over. So that was another good one that kind of tied back to that QB mispricing that went on for the majority of the season. I was reading your uh, story on adamchernoff.com, and if you don't get Adam's newsletter, please do so. It comes into my inbox, and I love checking it out because this guy studies the NFL literally all year long and, and shares these thoughts with you, adamchernoff.com. And you had written about the three things you learned about betting NFL, and you already sort of touched on the backup quarterback angle, but I thought you know the press conference answers was solid too, and you were talking about – denoting the difference between provoked and unprovoked press conferences. And I covered, as a reporter in Chicago for seven, eight years, I covered a lot of press conferences. It's one thing when they answer the question at hand, but when they go out of their way to say something that wasn't asked or answer something that wasn't asked, that's where you can really uncover some gems. I think so. Uh, it's something that I've become a lot better at in the last two seasons. I'm getting a lot of help in that regard, trying to decipher what is noisy and what isn't. But something I've noticed myself is uh, on on Twitter for every waking minute, essentially during the season, discussion around coaches' press conferences, coordinator press conferences has become a lot more popular. It's not something that was ever not there, but it wasn't something that was what I saw commonly used in discussions. I thought this year was a peak for that. I saw it as much as I ever have. But there was a lot of people discussing things that were very obvious. And so you would get a clip of a reporter. Um, the example that I used was Todd Bowles talking about Chris Godwin. The reporter asked him, why isn't Chris Godwin being used more? And what do you expect going forward? Something along those lines. Like, what is Todd Bowles going to say? Like, he's not playing well, so we're not going to put him in the game? Of course not. Uh, you get a coach who's asked a direct question. He's going to answer it in the way that's political to the locker room. I saw a lot of those examples used to bet certain ways. And what I learned that was very valuable was a lot of time when it's that direct, like you were getting to, that's not something that's necessarily actionable because it's a forced answer. And the example that I gave in the newsletter was a clip from, from Josh Allen a season ago where he was going out of his way on a question that had something to do completely different uh, with his first answer of the press conference about wanting to get the ball to Stefan Diggs more. And it turned out that that's exactly what happened. And so just noting the difference between something that is a provoked answer where it's set up to get an answer a certain way is going to be far less valuable than something that is not provoked that the coach coordinator or player goes out of his way to say in the press conference, that's very valuable. It takes a lot of time to uncover those, uh, but it's certainly worth it. You do the work, so we don't have to, and that's why we appreciate you. You also sent out five steps for handicapping teams in the NFL draft, and I know you have your numbers and your notes on all these teams and prospects and all that, but I think your top three are very, very important to understand because a lot of people will just jump on to DraftKings or FanDuel or Caesars and go, I can bet the draft and just fire, 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 because there's this need to be a part of some sort of football action. But if you don't understand what a team needs 
or more importantly, what a team wants, you shouldn't be betting draft stuff. Like that has to be paramount in everything that you do. And then you also have to pay attention to free agency moves because the, the new league year begins middle of March. So we're like two weeks away from that. If they come out, Team A, and sign a running back, then all of a sudden that need that may have been second or third becomes one. And that changes everything in terms of betting the draft because their plans have changed. Yeah, I'm learning a lot with draft betting. It's honestly the first time that I've gone through and will be doing all of the work and following it. I don't know how much is going to be able to be actions just because of the state of how sportsbooks are offering certain odds. But like Sam, I'll give you a good example. So the Baltimore Ravens uh, had media availability this week. And so you had the cost of the GM and Harbaugh, the coach, both at the podium in the last 48 hours. And both of them went out of their way to say and highlight the importance of offensive line. They have multiple starters who are free agents that don't seem to be in a spot where they can come back. They have some age and injury concerns, but both made it and confirmed that it was the forefront priority for them in beginning the offseason and continuing to build the offense. And so on March 13th, when the new league year starts, if you see the Ravens unable to retain some of these current starters, but you also see them not make any moves to fill those spots, it's a clear need that we have the GM and head coach identifying. If it doesn't get filled in free agency, you have all of these other GMs and coaches in the league so far in their media availability talking about how deep of a draft it is for offensive tackles. Like, like You know that the Ravens are going with their picks to bolster the offensive line because of how important it is. And so that's kind of a good example of where you're looking at the team need, you're using some of the visits and the combine or pre-draft stuff to look at, and then you're validating that with free agency to get to a conclusion. And so I, I think there's a high level of confidence based on what is being said and the needs and how the team is approaching it that the Ravens are going to be looking at offensive linemen in the draft especially so if it's not filled in free agency. So that's that's a good example of one I have circled um, and kind of how you would use that process. But again, it, it's all – I say it weirdly, but it's it's new to me because I just – I haven't gone this far into it. And so learning a lot on the fly as we go. We've bet a lot of draft. The problem with the draft stuff is that they don't give you good limits, which is no surprise. And then the second part of my issue is that we get – sort of a fraction of what we should get. For example, DraftKings right now has the most options in America. And they even have a, what will the position be of the first drafted player for X? And I think that's great. However, I want to bet right now a good amount of money, or as good as I can get, on the Chargers to take an offensive lineman first. Because in my heart of hearts, I believe Jim Harbaugh is going to take the best tackle available put him on the other side of Rashawn Slater, and set up that power run game to enhance Justin Herbert's abilities going forward. The issue is that DraftKings only has one team in the AFC West, and it's Kansas City. Wide receiver goes first, plus a quarter. O-lineman, two to one. Edge guy, plus 350. That's great, but I don't get everything, and I think that's the biggest issue I have. They have a big menu, but they sort of pick and choose what they deal you. And that's what I hate about the draft. Well, 
I kind of sympathize with it a bit because if I, and again, I, <laughs> people are listening are going to be frustrated because nobody's allowed to say anything positive about DraftKings or any sports books in America. That's the rules. Um, but like what a headache this would have to be to maintain for eight weeks from a sports book perspective with how info driven everything is, especially if you're taking decent limits. And so I've seen in the past a place like Circa will go, I think, the Monday or Tuesday week of with a, a list of their over-unders for players' draft position. But, I mean, some of these, when you get into expanded markets, it, it's got to be an absolute nightmare to maintain from behind the scenes. Like right now, I'm curious, when you look at Baltimore in that same, I've not looked at it. Do they have offensive linemen available? Is Baltimore even available? They have Baltimore O-lineman plus a quarter, edge plus 240, cornerback 4-1, to one, corner with a C, wide receiver 6-1. to one. I mean, if again, like it's hard to set a price on this because sure. how, how do you know? But based on anything that's being said, if Baltimore does not do anything in free agency, which is still an unknown, plus 125 to take an offensive lineman, if they don't if they don't do anything in free agency to fill up the offensive line that by the time you get to the draft is going to be a significantly higher price than 1 125 so you mentioned baltimore at plus a quarter to take a lineman which is a live market right now and by the time you listen to this it may run a little bit because adam has that type of power is there another team that has such an obvious need that we should think about i can look it up if you haven't yet um so I, I've honestly, I've been going through every general manager media availability since Tuesday. I don't want to date the podcast, but we're recording Thursday morning. So I, I have four more teams to go. Um, that was the one that I highlighted as kind of the highest weight or highest importance that I have seen. Um, other ones that I have as I'm going through my list of either like, I'm rating everything from five stars to one star based on importance. So that that Baltimore one was a five star that I had on importance. Another five that I had was Jacksonville on the defensive back, just based on what the GM had said. And he also mentioned that uh, Coach Peterson and as well as the new defensive coordinator, Nielsen, they both confirmed it as well. Um, so I'd be curious, Jags defensive back, if that is even available. And then, and you mentioned Kansas City wide receiver. I, I did a sort of like an aggregate of all the mock drafts from people that I respect or I have heard have really uh, good drafts in the past. And every single one, it was unanimous, had Kansas City going to a wide receiver. Now, Brett Veach was asked about whether or not they were evaluating certain wide receivers. There was questions about it at his media availability. He immediately downplayed it. But there was a lot of speculation from accounts that they would cut MVS, which they did. They let him go, released him officially. And so now there's even more of a space and more of a need for wide receiver. I, I'm not like I'm not pointing at something specific that has been said by anyone within the KC organization. But based on how popular and sort of widely understood of a consensus opinion that it is that KC would look to target a wide receiver. I would think that plus 125 is another price that would probably be much higher, even if they do get someone like Gabe Davis uh, in free agency, that's probably still going to be a spot that they look to attack. So I would think that that price goes higher too. 
at plus 125 on the Chiefs to take a receiver, and then no market on any team in the AFC South, which makes me want to rip my hair out. Last part is involving next year. And again, this is very wide open because we won't even get in the training camp for months and months and months. But, you know, you had a Detroit team that went 14-6 and six ATS, and people are going to be thinking next year, all right, they are my sleeper to go to the Super Bowl. On the other side of that, you have an Eagles team that was, hell, 7-10-1 against the number, that did not make people money, that was a disaster down the stretch. Is there a team or two? I just gave you two examples top of my head. that Those don't have to be your teams. But are there teams you're excited to maybe buy low or sell high on um, as we tape this, you know, heading into March of 2024? <laughs> I'll get to I'll get to one that stands out to me in a minute. I'll, let's address the Lions and Eagles first of all. Um, I think the Lions are they're definitely not going to be a buy low. I think it will be as popular of a team for offseason futures that you're going to see in the coming months. I think everybody is going to be involved in some way or at least want to be on them having success. Obviously, had one foot in the Super Bowl. Uh, before giving that away to the 49ers in the second half. What I thought was interesting is, first of all, they were able to keep the offense intact. Um, they were able to keep the coaching staff intact, which I thought was enormous. They also added some key defensive coaches, which is probably going to get a lot of press coming up. But uh, a lot of discussion in Dan Campbell's press conference this week, which was his first appearance since the NFC championship about how important some of these ads were to the defensive side and what that is going to allow and free up for Aaron Glenn. And so some work there to do on my part, but the way that it's being spoken about just seems like this is a one more year all in kind of effort for the lions. And if they're able to add some help uh, personnel wise in the secondary, that's going to be an interesting team because that was a huge weakness for them. And if they're able to fill that, which, they've made it sound like as a big priority for them. That's interesting. On the Eagles side, um, just actually finished a lot of the Howie Roseman stuff. They seem pretty comfortable on the offensive side once they get past the offensive line spots that they have to work on free agency and fill out. Um, still some question marks there, but it seems like there's going to be extra emphasis on the defensive side of the football with Fangio coming in. Uh, they kind of made it a point to where they retooled the offense last year, adding some pieces. And this year, in the next like eight weeks, there's going to be some emphasis on the defense. And so that'll be interesting to see what happens as we've seen so many spots for Fangio in the past. It's taken time to get right in Miami due to injury. It just never really did. And then he got let go. And so it seems like this should be a fit and should work for the defensive side for the Eagles, which was a disaster. I I still wonder a bit about the fallout with that locker room and Sirianni sticking around for another year, what that looks like. Because that was, that was pretty drastic at the end for how those players looked like they were quitting on the field. And so I still don't know if that was because of Sirianni. I don't know if it was the coordinator spots and some of the changes. That, to me, is hard to get past as you look forward for optimism with the Eagles coming up. And then who's the team you were referring to? Well, some scars on this one. Don't fucking <laughs> say Atlanta. I swear to God. <laughs> I, Sam, uh, I am, I'm, 
as I, again, I, I told you, I'm, I'm looking through all the GM and the coaching stuff. The optimism and positivity oh. that has been handled oh. by both Fanon and then also um, with Raheem Morris. I really like the hire. What he's been saying has been overwhelmingly positive. I, I think there's a lot to like. Offensive play calling, PFF history. We saw how that looked with Slowick and Houston and what that did with the team. I mean, all of the pieces are there. All of the pieces are there. It's another year of me saying it. You got to look to the Falcons again. I did it last year. I took the plunge. I I, I took the plunge both feet, head first, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> no, you drowned. What happened was you drowned. Oh, yeah. No, that was as painful of a season-long future sweat as I've ever seen, but um, I'll be back there again this year. To your point, and I, I kid, obviously. I had them, too. I liked them before I knew that you loved them. They lost <laughs> – now I'm just having PTSD. They oh. lost to the Titans by five, the Vikings by three, the Cardinals by two, the Bucks by four, the Panthers by two. You should win – Half of those games. Maybe even more than half. And it was games that they were all in control of <sighs> late for the most part. It wasn't it wasn't like they were coming from behind and making like seven or ten point deficits look closer. It was the other way. It was them throwing it away. And, and Raheem Morris said it best where he's like, I wouldn't be here if they had slightly better quarterback play a year ago. And I, I really think they get some sort of boost at QB, whether it's Fields or somebody else. There's just so many pieces and so many weapons on this roster that uh hard to ignore. And I don't think we're going to see them at a higher price than what they were a year ago. It's an interesting team. I just want to bet on CJ Stroud, man. That's fun for me. I mean, let let's see what they add. If they get him another weapon at receiver, which they're kind of hinting at possibly trying to do, that gets that gets really interesting for sure um, based on how, how many pieces they have that are young and talented on the defense. If you add another weapon on the offensive side, um, that's certainly going to be be a standout team in that that division for sure. Please follow Adam on social at Adam Chernoff, C-H-E-R-N-O-F-F, Right Angle Sports. Also has his own website and newsletter at adamchernoff.com. I appreciate you coming out of the cave. I know the light burns when you've been hiding for uh, for two, three <laughs> weeks. But, look, it's it's a well-deserved charge-up. You know I got love for you, and uh, you want people to win, and that's why you do what you do. So thanks for uh, for making this work, and thanks for breaking your you know off-season to, to join us here on Chicken Dinner and do some media. I'm year-round guy now, so who knows what's to hold. But when is when's the next time we're getting together for discussion here? What's the what's on the timetable so I can chart it into my empty agenda? I think after the schedule gets released, it has to be. Okay, I'll I'll mark it down on the on the wide open calendar, and I'll be ready. Are you just writing my name in all caps in in the month of May? <laughs> is that what you're doing right now? I'm gonna do like a four week or a four day prior to potential spots as I know that the incoming text will be there with the calendar invite. So all I ask is that you write naked city, August six, seven, eight, or nine, just write that. Cause I assume you're going to be in Vegas in, uh, in August again. I will. I'll tell you an, an interesting story about that. I messaged on Twitter. I sent a direct message right after the super bowl. And what I found out in talking with the guys at Naked City is that this Wednesday 75-cent wing night is actually a thing that runs 
every single week. I thought it was a promotion that they were doing. No, every Wednesday. But that is every Wednesday. Did you know that? I did know that. Murray and I used to go all the time. So Bet Bash is August 6, 7, 8, 9. Why don't you just put a heart around August 7th and put Naked City and we will go there and destroy wings? There is nowhere else somebody going to Vegas should eat. And this is not a, a paid endorsement no, or anything. No, not at all. But this is 100% fact. Like the amount of money that you can spend on mediocre food around that city is astonishing. Arguably more so than any other city that you are going to visit, not only in America, but worldwide. And then they, there is this spot in Naked City. I don't think nine out of 10 visitors have ever even heard of, let alone consider going. My opinion should be option one for anybody going to Vegas. That it's, it's so good. The reactions, and I'm going to let you go after this, the reactions, and I probably bought more people there than any of my friends that live in Vegas. I bring people there all the time. In fact, Pozzola and I went there last year. And we're pulling up to Naked City, and he goes, this place has food? It's in the middle of nowhere. Hellhole, but it's amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. I appreciate you again. You know I do. And uh, I will be talking to you as we get through the draft and we get the schedule out. Thanks, man. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Chat soon. <laughs> that about does it for Chicken Dinner. Thanks to Adam Chernoff for hopping on the show. That guy could talk about the NFL all day long. We went 30, could have gone 60. And I can't wait to get ready for the season once we get through the spring, into training camp, and uh, start to hit it really heavy around July and August. We will talk to a very sharp cat next week who goes by Giants Badgers on Twitter. Very good better. Has a lot of influence. I've known him from afar for a long time. And uh, he was the guy, if you remember, he got limited last week because his bookie accused him of buying picks. So I can't wait to get to the bottom of that. All that and more coming up. Uh, cash some tickets, make some money. We'll talk to you next time right here on Chicken Dinner. So you